Hello, Internet! Welcome to Film Theory, the show that sometimes actually talks about films. Hey, look, it's not my fault that most of the interesting stuff these days is happening on the Internet. But shockingly enough, between all the shorts and toilet wars, Hollywood finally managed to produce a movie that caught all of our attention, Oppenheimer. And honestly, with Hollywood strikes nowhere close to ending, this is probably one of the last times we'll actually get to talk about a new movie for a while. So let's just do that, shall we? Let's theorize for a bit about Oppenheimer, because spoiler alert, it's not actually about the title character. Now, for those of you who aren't looking to pay 20 bucks to go see three hours of men dramatically talking at each other, this is the latest movie from director Christopher Nolan, and it's all about the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, a brilliant scientist who was recruited by the U.S. government in World War II to develop the atomic bomb. While a great deal of the film covers the development of the bomb, most of the drama actually comes into play with the fallout of the bomb, pun definitely intended. You see, Oppenheimer felt intense guilt for the creation of his weapon, fearing that the escalation of nuclear weapons would lead to worldwide annihilation, and so he used his influence to try to get the United States to back off from the arms race that he himself inadvertently created. Of course, this doesn't sit too well with the powers that be, and they ultimately tried to discredit him for their own political gain. It is heavy stuff, with a lot of super serious themes on its mind. Personally though, my favorite part of the whole thing was when Oppenheimer said, it's Oppen time, and then he opt all over the screen. It's completely unexpected, very good twist in the third act. But like I alluded to in the intro, I think there's more going on here. Oh, sure. Sure, it's an incredible commentary on the effects of power, whether or not we should be toying with destructive atomic energy, and how ambition can cloud your judgment, but underneath the surface, there's a second story going on here. A meta-story. I believe that Oppenheimer is not just an overt biopic about the father of the atomic bomb, I also think it's a secret biopic about the man who made it, the director Christopher Nolan himself. And what's more, if you look at the direction Oppenheimer's life took in the film, it tells us exactly what's next for Nolan in his career. Here's a hint for you. Oh yeah, so strap on your goggles and don't look directly at the explosion, friends. It's time to set this theory off. So I imagine your first thought here is probably, huh? Suggesting that Nolan's making a movie this meta doesn't really seem like the sort of thing that this super serious director would do, does it? Well, you would think so, but here's the thing, he's done it before. Nolan's first big budget movie after he hit the mainstream with Batman Begins in the Dark Knight was Inception. Now if you don't know Inception, you most definitely know its influence. Memes about this thing were everywhere. It is the sole reason that every trailer from the 20 teens had those boas in them. You know the ones. a quick summary, Inception was a classic heist film with a twist. The heists were happening inside of dreams. It's a really cool film, and it truly pioneered a visual style that would influence movies like Doctor Strange in the years that would follow. But it was also one of the first and biggest movies to truly lean into theory culture. For instance, the movie ends on this big cliffhanger that, if you pay enough attention to the small details like a true theorist throughout the rest of the movie, you can actually solve. And that wasn't it. Years and years ago, there was this popular theory, a fan theory, going around suggesting that the entire movie was actually one big allegory for the art of filmmaking, with each of the main characters representing a different member of the film's crew. He had the extractor organizing the whole thing, representing a film's director, the point man who did all the research, representing producers, the architect who created the dreams themselves, representing the production designer, the forger to impersonate others in the dream, representing actors, a benefactor financing the whole project and meddling a little bit more than they probably should, representing the studios, even the mark that they were implanting the ideas into, representing the audience of the movie being 
being affected by the film's ideas. It was a really cool, really classic film theory that, believe it or not, Nolan himself actually confirmed. He explained that Inception was a reflection of his artistic life, and that he wrote the team-based collaborative activity from the movie based on the team-based collaborative process that he knew, filmmaking. Which just goes to show us two separate things. First, sometimes those super out there theories aren't as wrong as you think, and two, Nolan isn't afraid to use allegories about making movies in his movies. So, now that we've established that fact, how can we map Nolan's life onto Oppenheimer? Well, Oppenheimer is praised as a thought leader in his field. He's brilliant, a true visionary who's able to get the job done. All of that maps pretty perfectly onto Nolan, who's undeniably one of the best, most respected directors currently working today. Just like Oppie, Nolan is a great leader with other professionals who are very eager to work with him. I mean, just look at the star power in Oppenheimer that are basically regulated to cameos and background extras. A great specific example of this? A few years ago, Matt Damon was taking a break from acting to spend time with his family. He negotiated with his wife that the only thing that would get him to end his time off early was if Christopher Nolan called, right before Nolan offered him his part in Oppenheimer. But Nolan's got this respect from being a thought leader who's unapologetic for his work. In a cinema ecosystem where only established IP gets substantial budgets, Nolan is able to get almost any project that he wants funded. Again, it's just like Oppenheimer, who at the beginning of his career was considered to be out there with his theories, but by the end of it was getting huge funding for his Manhattan Project. And you cannot deny that both of these men get explosive results. Since Batman Begins, Nolan's films almost universally get tons of prestige and money. As for Oppenheimer, his explosive results are measured in, you know, actual explosions. But for all the good that Nolan and Oppenheimer share, you could argue that they also share a lot of the bad. For instance, ego and self-importance were Oppenheimer's biggest flaws. It had to be his way or the highway. Mapping that on Nolan, well, one could look at the disastrous decision to release the movie Tenet in theaters in September of 2020, at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic. As one article so succinctly put it, quote, I don't want to die for Chris Nolan's ego. Sounds a lot like something someone might say about Oppenheimer, doesn't it? Another example of Nolan's brilliant stubbornness are all the criticisms around his sound mixing on multiple movies. Due to, quote, artistic choices, all of Nolan's most recent films have been criticized for having dialogue that's borderline impossible to hear. As Forbes put it, quote, I don't know what Chris Nolan has against dialogue. There were widespread reports of audiences having trouble hearing several characters speak in The Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, and Oppenheimer. Nolan has gone on record saying that he knows that his movies will be watched across all sorts of different screens, in good cinemas, in bad theaters, televisions, iPhones, but as one sound professional who works with him put it, quote, I know Nolan does like to push the envelope. He's an artist, and I don't think he believes in working to the lowest common denominator. Sounds like a person whose ego doesn't allow him to compromise, kind of like a certain scientist pursuing results no matter the odds. So you can certainly see that there's at least some parallels between these two men, but what about their stories? Well, follow me here, but the dramatized version of Oppie's life from the movie tracks really nicely with Nolan's career. Both have humble beginnings and advance through their respective fields through smarts, hard work, and talent. Both are hungry and aspire to greatness, eventually catching the attention of bigger players. For Oppenheimer, his brilliance makes him a candidate to lead a secret program by the American government. For Nolan, his track record makes him a serious contender to direct bigger and bigger movies for mainstream Hollywood studios, where he eventually gets swept up by Warner Brothers. And both men have themselves their pet ambitions. One of Oppenheimer's biggest goals early in his career was to pioneer the study of physics in the United States. He specifically turns down offers to teach and research in Europe because he wanted to build an American program that would become a scientific leader. Similarly, Nolan views himself as a pioneer in the use of camera technology in film, specifically the IMAX camera, to get larger-than-life shots in his movies. Every single one of his movies since The Dark Knight has used this technology, and IMAX has since become a staple of big-budget cinematic experiences. Which leads us then to the biggest part of this whole thing, the bomb. For Oppenheimer, his bomb is easy. It is literally the atomic bomb which would change the course of his life forever. For Nolan, though, his atomic weapon is a bit 
bit more symbolic. His bomb is the superhero mega franchise, specifically Batman, which would also forever change the course of his career. Here, we have two leaders with incredibly specific and different visions of how they go about things. Against protocol, Oppenheimer gathers the most brilliant minds that he can find, regardless of their gender and past affiliations, wrangling them all together in Los Alamos, the middle of nowhere. And in a world increasingly moving towards CGI and special effects action, Nolan's Batman movies were really grounded. They were down to earth. They were practically shot. And in the end, both men's methods work. The Oppenheimer-led Trinity test produces the atomic bomb, and the Nolan-led movie production created the Dark Knight trilogy, which became some of the most successful movies of the 2000s. But what happens after this incredible success? The people who funded those projects turn around and use them in ways that Nolan and Oppenheimer don't approve of. Both the United States and other countries like the Soviet Union kept pushing the development of these atomic explosives, much to Oppenheimer's horror. While Warner Brothers and other major motion picture studios kept creating massive superhero films using the Dark Knight as their template. One specific parallel that I could draw here is President Truman standing in for Warner Brothers. Without Oppenheimer's knowledge or consent, the bombs created at Los Alamos were deployed in the field. Meanwhile, WB took their entire 2021 movie slate and dropped it onto HBO Max without consulting any of their partners. That move specifically appalled Nolan, who felt blindsided by that decision, and he ditched Warner as a partner. Likewise, the government's decision to use the bombs instead of sharing the knowledge to the wider world led to a rift between Oppenheimer and the military, as his advice was ignored and he was pushed further and further away from the decision-making process. Years and years later, after the dust settles, both men return to what they were doing before. Oppenheimer teaches, and Nolan returns to movie-making outside the franchise ecosystem, with his movies like Dunkirk and Tenet. But despite this, they both continue to work against their former benefactors. We've already spoken about how Nolan and WB had a falling out, but Oppenheimer's insistence to speak out against the H-bomb program earned him the ire of government figures like Louis Strauss, and his security clearance was revoked in an embarrassing semi-public trial. And you see, this is where we're at in Nolan's story currently. Despite the bad blood, our Strauss stand-in Warner Brothers is trying to woo him back to work on their projects, but our allegorical Oppenheimer Christopher Nolan isn't really interested in doing things the way they want to. Nolan just flat out is not interested in working on the studio superhero mega franchises anymore, and he's keen to let the world know it. During the press tour for Oppenheimer, when asked if he would do any more superhero films, Nolan replied with a very quick and curt no. After Batman, do you want to direct another superhero movie? No. And it's obvious to see why. I mean, just look at what these mega franchises have done to cinema in the past few years. We've talked about it a lot on this channel already, but studios are pumping more and more money into their big, brand-driven, super-powered action movies, chasing the box office numbers pulled in by those Dark Knight films. But that just isn't a sustainable model. In a lot of ways, those early Chris Nolan Batman movies set off a chain reaction that ultimately led to massive bombs like The Flash earlier this year. To me, this is actually the most compelling comparison between these two men. For Oppie, there was this worry that the atomic test at Los Alamos was going to set off a chain reaction that would ignite the atmosphere and destroy the world. Now, obviously, that didn't end up happening. But in the most chilling scene in the whole movie, Oppenheimer tells us that he's afraid that he did set off a chain reaction that would destroy the world. It wasn't one bomb, it was unlocking the power of the atom in general, leading to bigger and bigger weaponry that would ultimately lead to nuclear annihilation. Nolan, meanwhile, inadvertently set off a similar chain reaction across Hollywood. With all the money now getting funneled into mega franchises, he effectively helped to kill off the low and mid-budget movies that started his career. And now, as those big movies fail one after the other, the industry as a whole is collapsing. The world of Hollywood has literally been set on fire. That being said, this is where our big twist to this whole allegory comes in. Because Oppenheimer the film has so many parallels to Nolan's own life, we can actually use the end of Oppie's story to predict what Nolan is gonna do next. Clearly, Nolan isn't done with big-budget cinema, and he's doing his best to use his name to pull weight within the world of filmmaking. Nolan will want to pull things back to a reasonable scale, telling stories that are good
could while also pushing the art form forward. And to do it, just like Oppenheimer tried to join the development of the hydrogen bomb to steer it in a direction he preferred, I suspect Nolan will be going back to the mega franchises. In fact, I think we can even pinpoint which ones he's gonna do. Hear me out and quote me later, Christopher Nolan will direct a Star Wars movie, also a James Bond movie. Why those two specifically? Well, first of all, a James Bond project would fit Nolan's down-to-earth style perfectly. He's even expressed interest in it. During the press tour for Oppenheimer, he said this. I love those movies. The, the influence of those movies on my filmography is embarrassingly apparent. It would be an amazing privilege to do one. But the more interesting direction here, the possibility of a Christopher Nolan Star Wars film. You see, like so many of us here on the internet, Nolan has some strong capital O opinions about the Star Wars franchise, especially what makes them so successful. The way he sees it, a lot of people think that the Star Wars franchise has only worked because of its story, and he disagrees with that entirely. He thinks that while the plot is important, these sorts of movies also need to push technology along to make something new and cool with its visual effects. It has to be spectacle alongside story. And by the looks of it, he's not just interested in diagnosing the problem, it seems like he's interested in finding the cure himself. During that same interview where he said point blank that he wouldn't do any more superhero movies, Nolan specifically declined to answer when he was asked about Star Wars. Would you like to make a Star Wars movie? Pause. Sounds to me like someone who's in negotiations with Disney, which makes me wonder, will Nolan be able to make it happen? If he is able to make more movies in these mega franchises, will he be able to steer them into something better, something more meaningful, something more cinematic? Or will his guidance be ignored just like Oppenheimer's was? But hey, that's just a theory, a film theory, and cuts.